One of the most powerful verses in that song is the lyric, I am who you say I am. I mean, you might not catch it today, but if you are in this culture long enough, eventually you will because it's important for us to align who we are according to who God says we are, not your own thoughts inside your head that disqualify yourself because you know all the skeletons that are in your closet, even though those skeletons have never disqualified you one time in the history of your life. And this is what is so offensive of the gospel message is because it qualifies all of us. It means all of your good efforts are equal to everybody else's bad efforts because the reality is, is when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, he sees grace, and he's trying to declare over your life who he says that you are, but you refuse to believe it. And you were taught that probably in church because we think it's humble to think of ourselves as lowly. True humility is recognizing and believing who God says you are, that you are a child of God, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you are crowned permanently forever, which means you might act outside of that identity, but it never disqualifies you from being royalty. And maybe one day you'll wake up and recognize the truth that you have always been the royal sons or the royal daughters of God, and it'll actually change your life more than any of your Christian efforts and Christian disciplines, although those are good. Your motive matters more than your efforts. And hopefully you can sing and praise and worship along with who you are according to what God says about you. And so, Father, I just received that. I pray that over your children, that regardless of whatever they came in here today, whatever their thinking disqualifies them, would you just rebuke that in a kind and gentle way and remind them that they are your children? And that your love for them is unconditional, which means it's not based on their conditions, it's not based on their proper beliefs, it's not based on their proper behavior. I know people need a, a word of encouragement this morning, and so I pray that you help me encourage people with your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you grab your seat, high school, middle school, you guys are dismissed. Tim, I'm going to ask you to do something that I asked you to do a couple weeks ago. Can you just stay with me? It's only going to be about seven minutes. Did you hear that? I'm only going to preach for about seven minutes. Some of you are excited about that. Yeah, you can just stay right there with me. Uh, so this morning we're going to do something a little unique. Actually, I don't think we've ever done a service quite like this in the history of our 40 years being a church. And that's because I'm going to tell you why it's important, but I'm, I'm going to preach real quick. Is that okay? Can I preach real quick? Just real, real quick, real simple. So if you've been in church before, you probably heard the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is a crazy miracle, but they only counted the men. So scholars believe that there are probably 20,000 people that Jesus feeds with two fish and five loaves of bread from a little boy who gave everything that he had, which I'm going to come back to in a second. But the fascinating reality about this miracle is less about Jesus feeding 20,000 people and more about the location in which he did it. Not many people talk about that. We can assume, and rightfully assume, that because of where Jesus is when he does the feeding of the 5,000, that he is teaching and speaking only to Jewish people. Remember the people that thought that they were the children of God, the people that thought that only them, because of their birth, are going to be accepted as children of God. And they lived this way. There was tension and racism, even in the first century. They thought they were better than other people just because of their birthright. 
Jesus shows up on the scene to screw all of their religious plans up. How do we know this? Because the very next chapter, Jesus feeds another large crowd that really doesn't get focused on. He feeds the 4,000. You might be thinking the only significant difference between the two is 1,000 people. It's not the significance. The significance is the location where Jesus feeds the 4,000 people. You want to know the location and where he did it? He did it in one of the regions that were, were called the Decapolis, which is the seven regions of Gentiles. In the first miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000, he feeds these people and there are 12 baskets left over. People think that's because there's 12 disciples. Wrong. That's because there's 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is about to rip up everything they thought about religion. Because these Jewish people thought that the gospel was only for them. Jesus, just a day later, does another miracle. 4,000 people, except for they're all Gentiles. They're all the people that the Jewish people have disqualified from hearing the kingdom of God. Those people aren't allowed to accept Jesus. Those people aren't allowed to hear the good news. And you might think that this doesn't happen today in the 21st century, but who have you disqualified? Probably the people that don't even go to church on Sunday morning. Probably the people that do things that you don't. And Jesus provides this incredible miracle for even the Gentiles. And the fascinating thing is there's seven baskets left over. The significance of numbers matter in Scripture because seven represents the seven regions of Gentiles. In other words, Jesus came to feed and give good news and to save not just the Jewish people but all the, also the Gentile people. And that's good news for you and I because most of us in here are probably Gentiles. That means that regardless of your good behavior, regardless of your right beliefs, that Jesus' good news is that you're qualified, that you're good enough, that you're worthy, that you're holy because holiness is a gift not based on your performance. Man, that'll mess up some Christians real quick. What do you mean? You mean I don't have to get holy? No, you don't. You already are holy. And proper holiness is waking up to the truth that you already are. And I promise you, when you start recognizing that you are already holy, you will live more holy on accident, recognizing your true identity, than you ever could by trying. So holy saints, it's good to see you this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different. And, uh, that's all I got. Hopefully that encourages you. I, I, I want to challenge you around celebration. And you might think, man, I thought, I thought the church services are always supposed to be about gospel presentations. Well, I'm going to give you a gospel presentation that's much different than most gospel presentations because I'm learning the art of celebration in my own individual life. Can I give you, can I give you a little challenge where the Spirit took me this week? So I do counseling, and I was in a counseling session with a guy this week and uh, he was talking about where he wants to be, you know, like his goals. You ever think about the future version of yourself where you want to be this person, you want to be this type of man, this type of husband, this type of woman, this type of spouse, whatever. And, and you have these goals. And oftentimes we get fixated so much on our goals that we don't celebrate the journey. And so I, I paused this man and I said, listen, those are some audacious goals. And it's great that you want to continue to better yourself. But before you better yourself, you have to pause and celebrate where you have been. Because the five-week version of yourself right now is much different than week one version that came into my office. And I want to just celebrate you. In fact, your homework assignment this week is to figure out how you can celebrate you, which is hard to do. And so he, he leaves the office, and I go back. And after every time I do a counseling session, I do like a five, ten-minute really weird meditation that probably freaks some of you guys out, but I, I got to get sure, make sure that my spirit's in the right, right mode after you do counseling because I don't want to attach anything to myself spiritually. 
so, I, so I get into this, this thing, I do this weird ritual, and I heard the Spirit say, hey, Corey, you just challenged him to celebrate himself, but how come you've never asked me how you want to celebrate yourself? And I thought, that's stupid. Because I'm a preacher, I like to talk about it sometimes more than be about it. Because it's easier to challenge other people to celebrate themselves instead of celebrating yourself because it's weird. Come on, if we're just honest, it's weird to celebrate yourself. And so I've been thinking about this since Thursday. And I've been asking people, hey, how do you celebrate you? And there's only been one person that's given me a good response. Most people are like, why are you asking? Because somewhere along the lines of life, we got uncomfortable with celebrating ourselves. And we focus so much on the future version of ourselves that we can't fall in love with the current version of ourselves because we think that God, for some weird reason, is only in love with a future version of ourselves. But God is in love with you as jacked up as you are right now. He is ecstatic about you currently. And so if God can be ecstatic about you right now, even in your process, how come you don't celebrate yourself well? In fact, it's one of the most humble things you can do is to celebrate yourself even in your mess because your Father in heaven is giving you a standing ovation right now, even if you don't know what you believe. So I really wanted to challenge us around celebration. I'm still working this out for me because I still get weird about learning how to celebrate me. Like, is it food? Is it drink? Do I have to purchase something for myself? I don't know. Is it maybe just saying I'm proud of myself out loud, which you ever tried that? That's weird. Come on, let's try it together. Come on. We're all going to do it, so it's all going to be good. I want you to out loud say, I am am proud of of myself. myself. I am am proud of of me. proud of me. I don't know. It's just something that happens in your intellect. And so I want to celebrate somebody today. Her name is Pastor Tish. So I'm actually going to invite Pastor Tish to this stage. Come on up here. Let's give Pastor Tish a big celebration. Yeah, some of you can, you can stand to your feet and honor her where honor is due. You hear Daniel? I don't know if you should be offended by Daniel barking at you, but he definitely barked. (laughs) We celebrate her. Actually, today is about her, and uh, it is her 20-year anniversary of working in children's ministry as a pastor, which is crazy because there's some of you in here that she is ministering to your grandkids. She's been doing it so long, and... I want to praise you. I want to celebrate you. I want you to sit in this uncomfortable setting of us celebrating you. We actually have a gift for you. Britt, it's underneath your seat. If you could bring it to me. Nope, nope, it's in the box. There it is. Don't knock over your coffee because Britt's not fun without coffee. Did I say that into the mic? I'm just kidding. It's true, though. See, we celebrate Britt. Can we celebrate Britt? Because she's amazing, too. Hey, you're going to have to help me open this. So we have a tradition here. This might not mean anything to you, but I hope you know how special this is because it's coming from us. So last year when I celebrated 10 years, Pastor Shannon got me shoes. When when we celebrated Pastor 10 years of being lead pastor, we got him shoes. So after 20 years, you can open it up. We, We got Pastor Tish some Air Jordans because, you know, little Hill City style. 
You, if you don't like it, you can let me know. I'll return it and buy myself something. But I would have been disappointed if I didn't get shoes. She said she would have been disappointed if she didn't get shoes. It's my love language. So that's for you. Yeah, you can take that back now, Britt. Thank you. But we wanted to honor you. Uh, she's actually going to share here in a minute a little bit about her book. She just wrote a book, which if you haven't gotten it, we're going to encourage you to purchase it. It's not like a super spiritual book. It's her journey. And if I, I helped edit this book, and I was blown away by some of the things that I didn't even know about our children's pastor. And Pastor Tish, I'm so thankful and appreciative of you, not just for all of the people that you've impacted, but my kids, my family, my kids love you more than me, and I'm okay with that. But the reason for why I wanted to preach on the 5,000 was because the little boy who provided the five loaves of bread and the two fish to Jesus to do the miracle to feed 20,000 people, that little boy gave it all without any expectation. But his gift of giving it all affected thousands of people. And I think, not to be weird, but I think, Pastor Tish, you represent that little boy in that story because you have given it all for 20 years and you have impacted thousands of families over 20 years. And so can we celebrate Pastor Tish this morning? After she shares a little bit about her book, Pastor Shannick's going to come up and give some direction, and we're actually going to have a party in the lobby and actually give you an opportunity to celebrate Pastor Tish. Because honor... Honor is actually the only thing in the Bible that, that tells you to be competitive in, which means you should be competitive in out honoring one another. And you might think, well, this is a weird gospel presentation. Well, sometimes it's important to recognize not just what you celebrate. I think you can learn more about people by what they don't celebrate. And I don't want this anniversary to bypass us without us celebrating our children's pastor. And so let's give it up for Pastor Tish. She's got a word for you this morning. Can I have the table? Wow, thank you. I um, appreciate all those words. It is, it is kind of hard to even accept celebrating sometimes, especially where I came from. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Um, but I'm here, and, um, you know, um, worship was, I felt like worship was just for me today because it was all about identity, and it's been a journey. So I wrote a book, uh, My Journey to Wholeness, and it really was and has been a journey for me to even believe that I am a child of God and that I am loved and that I am worthy. Um, growing up, my dad would say words like stupid, ignorant, unworthy, because he was literally just regurgitating what he heard. So I had no church family. I had no church I had nobody telling me any different. So those words became part of my identity. And the more I heard them, the more I believed them. And then when I went to school, words like fat and ugly, you don't belong, you're not accepted. Well, see, those were added to my identity, and I carried those. And um, then I got married a month before I was 19. Uh, because my parents believed that college was not for normal people and that I should marry and, and that somebody else can take care of me because they did their job for 18 years, so it's time for somebody else. So I married one month before I turned 19, and I thought all I needed was love because 
I thought that's what it was. I thought marriage was about love and, hey, you marry somebody and, you know, you do a life together and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> that's, not, that's not exactly true, is it? Uh, so Mark was never faithful to me. So words of unworthy to love became part of my identity as well. And pretty soon, two kids later, in five years, our marriage dissolved, and I became a single mom. Anybody, any single moms out here, or anybody's been a single mom before? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You have to be the mom and the dad. You got to be the good guy, the bad guy. Mostly, you have to be the bad guy. Um, so it's hard, and I had to get very creative uh, with what I had, and I had little. I had a car that didn't have a thermostat, didn't have a heater. Uh, the gas gauge didn't work. I found that out many times. And um, it would hardly start, so I would literally have to pop the clutch on a hill just to get it to, to start. And you prayed no traffic would come, or you'd have to push the car up the hill and pop it again. So, you know, I learned how to be very creative. Um, at one point, I didn't have a refrigerator. And for the girls to have cold milk, I had to set the milk outside the house. Um, it worked great until it got above 40. But I had to be really resourceful. And it wasn't fair, but I had to do it. Uh, I used to tell everybody I was in survival mode. So I met Tim through a friend. And the um, first time he brought me here was in July of 1993. And I remember walking down the hallway before my foot hit the carpet. There was a lot of people who came just to see me. Um, they wanted to know me because Tim brought me. They had a relationship with Tim, but they generally wanted to know me. There was a lot of stumblers, I'm not going to lie. I thought I was still meeting the same people. A lot of stumblers. But the thing about it was is they made me feel welcome, and I didn't have to do anything for them to come up and shake my hand or give me a hug or say, hey, glad to see you. So that stuck with me. It's still one of my favorite memories. I, and I hope whenever you come in these doors, you always feel that welcome because I love that feeling. And I knew there was something different. But coming here and sitting under the leadership, we sang songs just like we sang. I am worthy. I am good. God calls me his child. See, they were still hard for me to believe. They were hard for me to believe because I had lived so long believing that I was unworthy and that I wasn't good enough and that I was unloved and I was stupid and I couldn't do anything right. So my whole life, I based it out of fear. I was afraid people would not accept me. I was afraid people would reject me. I was afraid people would leave me and not love me. So it took a journey. It took sitting down with God and writing this book that I really found the truth. I mean, people can tell you all the time that you're good and you're loved and you're valued and you're beautiful, but until you really sit down and let God minister to you and it, let it sink in and let it heal you, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. And I came with this, up with this truth, and if you read my book, you'll know the story about how I came into existence. I wasn't a boy like my parents had hoped. So my whole life, I felt like I really wasn't wanted, at least the version that they wanted. But sitting down with God, God made me realize that he always desired me. 
There was never a time that he didn't desire me. It didn't matter if I was a girl or a boy. It didn't matter. He desired me. So that healing process and that journey is what you got right here. Um, I wrote it for over 10 years. Um, there's a lot of chapters that make it. There's 10 in here. There's a lot of chapters. It was just for me and God, and that's okay. There's a lot of stories in there I left out, and if you want to know some more stories, I, hey, I love coffee. We can get together, and, you know, I'll, I'll share a little bit more. But I guess what I want to leave you with after I, I told you about a little bit of my journey is it's so important to choose your words wisely and your actions wisely, especially as parents and grandparents, because those words stuck to me, and I carried them for the longest time. And they sabotaged a lot of things in my life. And I just want you to know that words and actions, man, they matter. They matter so much. Tell your children who they are. Tell them their identity in Christ over and over again. I guess that's the best thing that I can leave you with is your child's identity and identity and who they see themselves as. It's, it matters. It's important. And that's one of the things I do over in the children's ministry now is I tell them all the time who they are. Because I want them to know when they get in middle school and somebody tells them something that's not true about themselves, that they have the confidence to know that that's not true about them. So I'll leave you with this, that choose your words wisely, not only for the ones that you love, but also about yourself. And thank you. What an amazing testimony. And I do want to share just a couple more things. I want to highlight some things. Of course, Pastor Corey talked about how Tish in her life spiritually was like that little boy who brought everything that he had, the two fish and the five loaves. And, and right, the disciples got it, gave, gave it to Jesus. He blessed it and gave it back and says, okay, now you feed everybody here in Tish's life going out, multiplying, reaching thousands, I think is 100% true because it's already true. All the children, the families, and people that you've ministered to over the 20 years, but also couldn't think about somebody that's unnamed in the story that kind of represents Tish as well. You see, the disciples were giving the task to feed everybody there, and they went out searching and looking. And if you know the story, Peter comes back and says, the only thing we found was like this, like Long John Silver's Happy Meal. Like that's it. Two fish, five loaves. And they searched and searched trying to come up with food. But this little boy brought it. I can't help but think as I read through that story, yes, the little boy brought it, but I guarantee you behind that little boy, there was a mom or a grandma that said, hey, I know you're excited to see Jesus. I want you to experience him. I want you to encounter him. I want you to see everything that he has, who he is, what he's going to offer you. But I need to prepare you for the day. I need to give you some resources so that you can make it through today to have that experience with Jesus. And just like behind that little boy was his mom packing his lunch, that's kind of the picture I get of Tish and what she does in this place to prepare and to give resources for parents and kids so that they can have the most amazing experience with Jesus possible. 
because she knows the transformation that comes when someone encounters Jesus and his love. And so today, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate her. We're going to celebrate this journey. So in just a few minutes, we got cookies and punch and balloons. We're going to actually celebrate and have a party out in our lobby. And so I'm going to encourage you to stay. I'm going to encourage you to go up and give Tish a hug. Maybe if you have a short story about what she's meant to your kids or how your kids like mention her or talk about what they're learning, I'm sure she would love to hear that. But one thing I do want you to hear though, as you heard a little bit of her story, and, and this really is for all of us in the room, I want you to take hold of this, that your history does not need to define your destiny. The things that you've been through, the traumas, the circumstance, the chaos, whatever it may be, it doesn't need to define the destiny that God has for your life. Not that it can't help, shape and not that it can't help because we can have incredible testimonies but that doesn't need to define the walk that we have the life that we have the dash that we are living out right now in this moment and so i just want to encourage you your your history doesn't need to define your destiny and i also want you to know that whatever it is that you do i want you to take joy in the journey that you're on. Because I promise you, in Christ, there is the fullness of joy. And in this life, we can have that fullness because we know he's always with us through whatever it is we go through. And so church, I wanna encourage you with that. And I do want you to kind of set in this moment, a Sunday like this where we hear a story about the feeding of 5,000. We take hold one thing, that it wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for all people, the Gentiles included. That is us and what God wanted to do. And we want to celebrate. But this is cause for you to take this celebration and begin to celebrate others in your life. And as Corey said, matter of fact, he sent me a text uh, last night. So he wasn't lying. He sent me a text and says, how do you celebrate you? And I was one of those people like, what? Why are you asking me this? And I had to sit and think about, man, how do I celebrate myself and the uniqueness and how God made me? And so I just invite you to come on that journey with us of celebration. Is that good? All right, well, so we're going to celebrate today, and as you leave this place, just know you are loved, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. So go connect someone to life this week, and let's go celebrate in the lobby. God bless you guys.